Once upon a time, not so long ago, in a galaxy right here, there were these shiny magical disks that not only had an amazing ability to remember the past, but had the ability to sing the most wonderful music. The collection of songs that these magical disks could play could vary based on the preference of their caretakers. These creatures were called compact disks. You may know them as CDs, or you may know them as antiques. You could play these CDs in a CD player, a computer, or conveniently, you could play these CDs in a portable player that you hold steady up in the air to avoid periodic audible disruptions while you go for a jog around the neighborhood. Eventually, we were introduced to the CD's close relative with the enhanced capacity necessary to present us with video entertainment. Luckily, the DVD players and subsequent Blu-ray players retain the capability for me to continue enjoyment of my CDs as my dedicated CD players became obsolete. But there came a time where my life as I knew it was going to change forever. My lone Blu-ray player was rarely used and I could imagine a time when my video watching would move to online streaming services and my latest home computers no longer came with built-in CD-DVD drives. I still have a rather large collection of CDs, but I have realized my ability to listen to my CDs is shadowed by the possibility that those CDs are destined to become drink coaster conversation pieces. I need to move my CD collection to the cloud. First, I need to procure an external CD DVD drive for my computer and systematically import all of my CDs into a digital storage solution. You may ask, why have you not done this already? And to that I say, stop asking questions or we'll be here all day. I came up with three options. One, buy a single drive and import one disc at a time. Two, buy an auto loader CD import ripping device. Or three, just scrap my efforts and enjoy my nostalgic drink coaster collection. After ruling out option 3, I did the cost analysis between options 1 and 2 using cost, productivity measures, and third order differential equations and decided the single drive made the most sense. I researched various stores and online retailers and came up with a few reasonable options. In this case, there were so many options that cost was not a clear differentiator. I also looked at customer reviews, compatibility, technical specs, and company reputation. Once I had selected the product that best met my needs, I needed to finalize the supplier. I could purchase from a big box store or an online market website, or I found a used product online that I could potentially get my hands on. I factored in the logistics involved in procuring the disk drive. After looking at the used option, I decided there was too much complexity in dealing with the seller since they were only available during my workday, plus they had interesting reviews from previous clients. Next, I calculated the cost analysis, factoring in shipping costs, gas mileage, return policies, and time value utilization using classic slide rule, and decided I would order using the online marketplace. I had to identify the funding source, i.e. my credit card, and complete the online order, and selected a shipment method. 
Over the next couple of days, I tracked the order as I eagerly awaited my new audio enjoyment transformation device. Unfortunately, the device was dead on arrival, and I had to make a decision. Did I trust the supplier to send me a working item? Also, do I trust the manufacturer to provide me with a reliable product? I decided to give them another shot, and in the end, I got the solution I needed. And now, my audio collection resides in the audio clouds of the musical heavens. So what did I learn from this experience? I wasn't just making a purchase. I was defining my needs, assessing suppliers, evaluating products, coordinating logistics, and ultimately considering the overall value equation. This is supply chain management. Now, can apply these principles to convert my VHS collection. Supply chain management is not purchasing. Purchasing is one component or one aspect of supply chain management. Supply chain is concerned with the purchase or requisition of services and consumables and supplies, as well as equipment. However, they're also concerned with the procurement process, with the logistics of obtaining the services and supplies, and probably most importantly, supply chain is concerned with the value analysis around all of those efforts. Familiarity with basic financial and accounting concepts will help build an understanding of how healthcare technology management operations contribute to business decisions or how decisions drive HTM operations. But in order to contribute to the short-term or long-term financial goals of healthcare technology business, whether it's from a hospital perspective or a service provider, it is necessary to link HTM operations to the financial aspects through financial analysis and budgets. However, before you discuss budgets, you need to understand the components that contribute to a budget related to HTM. So this topic is supply chain management and how it relates to HTM operations and financials. So the process of ordering parts, supplies, and equipment in HTM is very routine. It's part of our daily work, but the actual act of purchasing the item, that is the actual transaction, is only a small part of the overall process of acquiring that item. Once the need for a product is identified, such as a repair part, or it might be test equipment or tools, at that point, a series of events are set in motion. These include actions like product sourcing, supplier negotiations, order submission, approvals, transaction documentation, shipment tracking, delivery receipt, and payment processing. And this series of events makes up supply chain. Let's start with the requisition process, otherwise known as the purchasing process. It's the most familiar and it's what many people equate supply chain with. But as I said, supply chain is more than just the requisition. Let's start with a simple example. A technician identifies a part needed for a repair. So the part is identified, the part is ordered, the part is shipped, the part is received, then an invoice is received and a payment is made. That's a very typical basic example. At the beginning of that process, a requisition is created, and the requisition is tracked through the process, typically through a number called a requisition number. 
This is the internal reference number for the organization to track all the steps related to the sourcing, ordering, receiving, and paying for some sort of a replacement part. Another number to be aware of, and that is very important, is called a purchase order number. The purchase order number is more of an external facing number. That is the number that is provided to the vendor who you are purchasing from. That is their number to attach to any documentation and invoicing associated with that purchase. The purchase order number can be very important and sometimes can be almost considered equivalent to a signature. Once that purchase order is provided to that vendor, that is as good as a signature from the organization saying, it's okay for you to provide us this and charge us for it. So between the requisition number, which is more internal facing, and the purchase order number, which is more external facing, those are the important reference numbers in order to track the process from beginning to end. Various organizations have a wide variety of different processes, policies, and procedures around purchasing and the purchasing process. Oftentimes there are layers of approval, and that could be approval based on the actual financial accounts that the funding is coming through. So the owners of those accounts need to have some sort of an approval, or possibly the approval is attached to some sort of a dollar value. So certain dollar values need certain level of approval in the organization. But many times we think of these approvals as governance or micromanaging or oversight. But another important aspect of this approval process is the concept of segregation of duties. Segregation of duties divides up and separates the responsibility and the accountability for financial transactions, processes, and approvals. If one individual is responsible for identifying a need to purchase an item and can approve the requisition, provide the purchase order, submit the payment, all without any other eyes on that process, they are 100% completely accountable for that series of events. Now, if a financial auditor or a consulting firm comes in and is reviewing finances and accounting and they question various business practices and purchasing habits, all those activities trace back to the individuals that are tied to that requisition, that purchase order, or any of those approvals. Having multiple individuals involved in the process reduces the risk of either intentional or unintentional errors or mismanagement of finances and accounting. That is segregation of duties. It is not just to protect the organization from foul play but it is also, in effect, protecting the individuals involved in the process so they are not 100% fully accountable for that process. Adding these checks and balances throughout the process can remove any perceived opportunity for inappropriate use of funds. The goal is to create complete transparency to the fiscal management of the business, eliminating any potential conflict of interest or perceived vulnerability to fraud, it arrives, you pay a portion of it, then you don't make the final payment until you actually validate that it's the appropriate part of the quality that you expected. But if that item never gets received in the requisition process, it may not get to your accounts payable department and be added to their queue for payment until that step in the process takes place. Services. Contracted services are generally some sort of contractual arrangement where there is a written agreement between a hospital 
and a vendor or another business for some sort of service or deliverable. Purchasing a service isn't always done through a formal contract. Sometimes the purchase service is done through a simple transaction. A service is ordered, a purchase order is provided, and then based on that purchase order, the vendor or the business can bill the hospital for that service. Sometimes with these types of purchase services, especially the larger, more complex ones, where you want to be very clear about the expectations of the service or the deliverable or the outcome of the service being provided, there's a document called a Statement of Work, or SOW. And the SOW helps the service provider set expectations for their deliverables and helps the customer avoid getting charged for services that they don't intend to receive. So it provides clarity on both ends of the transaction. There are also material purchases. This is more the traditional purchasing, such as parts and products and supplies and consumables. And rather than paying someone to do something, which is more of a service, you're paying for a thing, such as an asset or an item. In many cases, these are pretty straightforward. For example, you go to a coffee shop, you order a latte, you identify your need, you order the item and you pay for it. In other cases, these purchases require some research prior to the requisition. When you are considering to purchase a car, you'll define and seek out an acceptable price. The process of seeking out the best product at the most appropriate price is called sourcing. For an HTM professional, sourcing can be particularly important when dealing with equipment repair parts. If a part is needed to complete a repair, it's easy to go directly to the manufacturer of that device. However, this may not always be the only option and is often not the least expensive option. So consideration of alternate suppliers should be reviewed, but should be reviewed with care. It's important to understand the quality program behind any provider, whether it's a manufacturer providing parts for their equipment or a third party or an alternate source. It's important to understand the quality practices so that you understand what you are paying for. It should be very clear whether the part that you are ordering is a new part or not some alternate suppliers may salvage or recondition parts which may or may not have a higher failure rate depending on the ultimate condition and the quality control around those parts but the key takeaway is there should be some sort of a validation demonstrating the quality system for assuring that that part will work properly there is often a trade-off between cost and reliability but that's not always the case there will also be suppliers that are selling new parts but they are not identical to the manufacturer's new part, that is the manufacturer of the equipment, it may be appropriate in some cases to consider these like substitutions, but consideration would need to be made as to the risk of incompatibility. So what happens if it doesn't work? What is the impact, not only from an impact on the patients and the providers who utilize the equipment, but the impact to the equipment itself? Part sourcing programs and alternate part suppliers are a very important aspect of HTM, but should be treated like a program, and there should be validation and qualification of the suppliers, as well as monitoring and process improvement around the process of sourcing and validating the quality of the parts being provided. Now, you've ordered the part by initiating the requisition, you provided the purchase order, the part is shipped, and it has arrived at your facility. There's an important step that sometimes gets missed 
and it can cause a lot of headaches on the back end. If that item arrives and is removed from, say, the loading dock, and it is utilized, whether it's for a repair or whatever you ordered that part for, the requisition loop has not been completed. Once that item arrives on site, it's important to do what's considered receiving the item. And receiving the item doesn't mean I now have it in my hands. Receiving the item means, from a documentation perspective, the requisition process gets updated that the item was received. The reason this is important is that it has an impact on the accounting of that item. Depending on the accounting practices, sometimes that act of receiving the item in the requisition process effectively says, I now possess that item and therefore I owe money for something that I possess. That is considered an account payable or accounts payable. Think of it this way. If I order something that I don't have to pay for until I possess it, I wouldn't pay for it until it actually arrives at my facility. So receiving that item once it arrives indicates from an accounting perspective and a finance perspective that now I am accountable to pay for that item. Now, sometimes there are terms associated with purchases where you pay for it and then it comes, or possibly it arrives, you pay a portion of it, then you don't make the final payment until you actually validate that it's the appropriate part of the quality that you expected. But if that item never gets received in the requisition process, it may not get to your accounts payable department and be added to their queue for payment until that step in the process takes place. Purchasing is one component or one aspect of supply chain management. Supply chain is concerned with the purchase or requisition of services and consumables and supplies, as well as equipment. However, they're also concerned with the procurement process, with the logistics of obtaining the services and supplies, and probably most importantly, supply chain is concerned with the value analysis around all of those efforts.